Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Thank you, friends, for joining us today for another episode of Hope Along the Journey. It's a joy to have you with us as we share a wonderful testimony to God's amazing grace. I'm pleased to have here in the studio today, as I record, both Danny and Martha Waters. And Danny is going to be sharing his testimony. Danny, thanks so much for being here today and being part of this episode of Hope Along the Journey. It's my privilege. Before we begin, I just would like to encourage all of our listeners to reach out to us and let us know that you're listening. I've been receiving some emails and text messages, and I deeply appreciate all of those who've taken the time to reach out to me. If you'd like to email me, my email address is hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Again, that's hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Please take time to visit our website at www.hopealongthejourney.org. Again, that's just www.hopealongthejourney.org. When you go to the website, there will be a screen that will pop up that will say, Stay in Touch. And we want to stay in touch with you by having you on our newsletter email list. So if you would just take a few moments to add your email to that, then you can receive our monthly newsletter and have an insider view of what's going on through the ministry of hope along the journey. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, we're located on both of those social medias. If you're on LinkedIn, please reach out to me through LinkedIn. But we just would love to stay connected with you here at Hope Along the Journey. Again, it's great to have with us today, Danny Waters. Danny is going to be sharing his story of how God worked miraculously in his life. Danny, again, welcome to today's recording. Thank you. And I'm so glad your wife came. Oh, yeah. She's she's been support all my life. Yeah. Well, 15 years. 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) The best thing ever happened to you, right? Yeah. Outside of getting saved, right? That was the best thing. Uh, Second best thing in my life. That's great. Well, it's such a joy. I'm so glad we got to meet and get acquainted at a camp where I was preaching in, uh, let's see, where was that at in Kentucky? Maysville. Maysville, yes. Yeah, and we got acquainted there, and finally we worked it out for you to be here today. So, Danny, I'd like to, first of all, uh, kind of start off, would you take us back and tell us about a little bit about your childhood and early life uh, people always love to know about people's childhood and early life. Would you share that with us? Sure. Uh, I'm uh, the middle child. Uh, there was three children. I have a younger and an older sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, he uh, one of them jack-of-all-trades, master and none. He finally settled <laughs> in and became a mechanic. And okay. I followed his footsteps. My mother worked a factory. We lived in a small town of Mount Orb. Uh, we, we started in the mill, you moved to Mount Orb, and uh, had a lot of relatives there in that area. Mm-hmm. So growing up was really great because I had lots of cousins to play with and yeah. people uh, explore cricks and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. 
A little lady down the road uh, had a big impact on her life. She she was a little maker, and uh, she convinced my mother to uh, start attending church, and uh, so we did, and uh, we attended a little one-room church there, and uh, it was it was, uh, it was great. Uh, the people were really good. Uh, however, I was the honorary little kid. And oh, it, you got to be kidding, Danny! Surely uh, you weren't. <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> you learned that meanness from all your cousins. That's where you learned it from, right? That could have been. Could yeah. have been. So, <laughs> uh, not all my cousins went to church with us. They did occasionally, off and on. But uh, sure, as the sun came up on a Sunday morning. I knew a couple of things would happen with me. I would go to church. I would sit there. I would get restless. And by the time that we got home, I was going to get a whooping and go to bed without dinner or, or lunch, rather. Wow. And, uh, and that's just, uh, it was the strictness mm-hmm. of that early church. And, uh, you know, kids were supposed to go to church, yeah. sat in a few eyes for it, da, da, da. Yeah. That was not me. And uh, so the, some of the elders of the church convinced my mother, who was very young at the time, that they could probably beat them demons out of me. And she tried. But uh, anyways, it was something I could, we all lived yeah. through. Yeah. But uh, however, it had an impact. Well, absolutely it did. Because when I got somewhere in the neighborhood 12, 13 years old with all my other relatives in the neighborhood I could run off and go play with them or hang out with them and uh, just one excuse after another where I slowly stopped going to church mm-hmm. because church wasn't doing nothing but aggravating everybody yeah. in my world uh, now was there a lot that I learned th- through them years yes mm-hmm. Sunday school was very very important because that was one place in church I could go and be a kid and not get in trouble. Mm. So I always remember that. Yeah. So as life went on, I kind of fell out of church. By the time I was uh, 15, 16 years old, church wasn't in my world, and uh, and I fell prey to peer, peer pressure. Yeah. And I was out running with the crowd. You know, I was uh, like a fish. I was chasing that shiny lure. Yeah. Anything that sparkled, whatever had an interest, I was chasing after it. And wow. Well, you could understand that, Danny. I mean, you know, with the fact that church was a place that you knew every – you dreaded Sundays, right? Because no, you knew by the end of the day you're going to go without dinner and you're going to probably more than likely get a good spank and, and be sent to bed without anything to eat. Sadly, there, there was a lot of that type of punishment in that day because that, that's not the first time I've heard that kind of punishment, you know. But And I think parents were trying to do their best. They tried to do what was right. But I could see where that would really skew your view of God and of church. And so it would only be natural, unfortunately, that you would gravitate to your friends and others. Where did that kind of – where did that – Chasing after that lure, like you said, like a fish, where did that lead you? Where did that take you? Well, uh, it it led me into a lot of different uh, avenues that were wrong. Uh, I started uh, as a child, I I became a theft. 
I was stealing things, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, the other, cause, oh, look what I got, look what I got. Well, I would still and have the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then when we started driving, you know, well, he could drive this fast, I could drive faster. And uh, so then there was getting in trouble with the law. All of my cousins that I grew up with, there was probably 15, 16 cousins in the area, and all the male cousins that I grew up with, we, we all had a driving record at a very early age because we just really didn't pay attention to the law. So chasing after mm-hmm. all that other stuff, there was neglect yeah. for authority. Right. And by neglecting authority, by the time I'm 18 years old, I've already got a record. I've been to juvenile court a couple of times. I've done been under a driving suspension. Uh, when I'm 18 years old, I'm standing in front of the judge. I got my first DUI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've already, now I'm, I'm court ordered. I'm going to AA. I ain't even got a clue what AA is, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go anyways. Right. And it my, that became my life, running from the law, had a record, driving suspensions, trying to go to work, and uh, then I spent my weekends drinking. Yeah. It, and that alcohol, no doubt, just compounded and complicated everything, too, because it really didn't... Am I, am I right or wrong, Danny? A lot of people turn to alcohol. One of the reasons is to try to mask the pain in their life or try to find some kind of joy or relief from life and the unhappiness that they're finding. Why is it that so many people do turn to alcohol? Well, you know, uh, I hear a lot of people say that. You know, they say, well, you know, we drink to get rid of the pain. We drink for this or we drink for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, I drank because that was what adults did. It's the world in which you were involved in. It's what you yeah, did as an adult. Yeah, and we went from, went from the milk bottle to the Pepsi bottle to the beer bottle. Yeah. It was just a, a cycle of life. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all the adults uh, that I knew, you worked really hard through the day, and you rewarded yourself with a nice cold beer at night. It seems like your life was, you know, Satan had a hold of your life, and there were just a series of poor decisions that you began, you started making all through life, and those decisions just kept compounding the problem. You know, I've heard it said, Danny, so many times that our decisions determine our destiny. And would you agree with me that those decisions that we make in life, those wrong decisions, they really do get us set on a certain course and a certain destiny in life? A destiny oftentimes we don't really want. That, that is true. It's, uh, and those wrong decisions, uh, you know, they, they do, they, they have a large penalty, mm-hmm. uh, my, my drinking, like I said, it, it led me into court. By the time I'm 20 years old, I'm now on a five-year driving suspension. Uh, I'm getting ready to go in front of the judge. I'm possibly going to face some jail time. Wow. So I, I make a, a deal, a backdoor deal in the pretrial, and I'm off and I go to the service. I'm thinking this is going to be a good thing. It's mm-hmm. going to change my life. But it didn't. It, all it did was relocate me. The drinking followed. I, now, I did have a lot better, uh, what would I say, role models. Mm-hmm. 
Role models, role models. Those those are important people. Yes. Even as an alcoholic, say all my all my role models, most of them were alcoholics. Yeah, sure. Your family and your circle of influence as a child growing up, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, so when I went in the service, I did have some different role models, and some people, some lieutenants, and people that came along beside me and encouraged me to do better. And that was really good. That was very helpful in my part of life. It, it helped set a new foundation yes. as to what I would do in life when I got out of the service. Mm-hmm. So fast forward your life a little bit uh, down the road. Uh, after you got out of the service, what really happened to your life? Did it go in the right direction, or did it? Did you find yourself spiraling out of control again? Well, when I got out of the service, uh, I followed the uh, footsteps of my father. Uh, I became a mechanic, and uh, and I worked really hard. Uh, I had a, I brought, I came came back from Korea with a, a bride, a wife, and I saw so I had a Korean wife, and uh, shortly after we had a beautiful daughter there, mm-hmm. and uh, then we had a son, but. Uh, I worked a lot of hours. Uh, I I thought I was trying to be the right person. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, in the early part of this career, I was before I had children, uh, smoking dope and taking amphetamines and et cetera. That was fairly common, mm-hmm. but I kind of gave all that up just down to drinking. Mm-hmm. Well, with my children. Uh, you know, they came up, I seen it was important. They needed to be in church. Now, even though I didn't go, my children went to church. Mm-hmm. The wife and I, we grew quite apart because of my long hours at work. I'll never blame her. We got divorced. I went our separate ways. Mm-hmm. I had the kids. Uh, I was, um, what do you call that, codependent. Mm-hmm. I always felt the need of a relationship. Right. Now, my relationship thought I forgot the most important relationship I needed, and that was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So, but I was following the women, mm-hmm. and that eventually ended me in Michigan. So, in Michigan is where I was reconnected with the drugs, and it really spiraled out of control. Mm-hmm. So, not only did it spiral out of control, but I'd lost custody of my children. I was I was tearing my children apart. I was yeah. disconnecting from my family, mm-hmm. from the people that loved me, or the people that I walked away from. Right, right. And uh, I had this life in Michigan that evolved and just spun and circled around drugs, mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol. And yeah. uh, so I would come home on the weekends and visit with my children, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they, they invited me to go to church with them. said, Dad, you know, we got a thing going on at church. Please come to church with us. We never see you. Come to church with us. So I went to church, and the pastor, it didn't matter where I sat in that church. It reminded me of being that little kid again, mm-hmm. trying to hide from that pastor. <laughs> <laughs> you, did, you, you wanted to have dinner, and you didn't want to spank it after church, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But that guy, he kept stepping on my toes. Yeah, that's the <laughs> and, way it works. Yeah, and it didn't matter if I was on the end pew or in yeah. the middle of the pew. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and he was he was really a great guy. 
and the message he just uh, like drove a stake in my heart. It was what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. It's what I had been running from. Yeah. And uh, that gets real emotional. Yeah. Because Christ, when he started working, when that Holy Spirit comes on you, yeah. you can't shake that. You can't hide from it. Mm-hmm. And it puts a seed. It, it's, it's like uh, it's like one of them weeds in your grass. Mm-hmm. You know that seed gets in your heart. And you can't pull it out by the That's roots. Right. It, it just sits there and it grows and it grows. Well, that it ended up through the weekend. I was leaving to go back to Michigan, and my children, as I'm saying goodbye, they both look up. They said, Dad, when are you going to come home and be a father? Oh, that hurt. Yes, it had to be. Something For, like, a, like a dagger that had to have gone, pierced your heart. Oh, yeah. It was uh, between the Holy Spirit talking to me, mm-hmm. my children asking me, looking at those faces. Yeah. Yeah, how do you go away from that? Mm-hmm. So... It's a four-hour drive. By this time, I'm living in Jackson, Michigan, instead of Detroit. I lost everything in Detroit to the drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything I own, I'm living in a pop-up camper in Jackson, Michigan. Wow. wow. And uh, so on the way back, somewhere just south of Adrian, Michigan, I called my boss in Kalamazoo. I said, hey, we got to have a talk. I said, uh I got to meet with you. Meet me on Tuesday at blah, 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 restaurant. I can't remember the restaurant. He says, great. He said, I've been needing to talk to you anyways. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, here it is. Cat's out the bag. He knows I'm a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Fired anyways, so it don't matter. So we have a conversation. I explained to him what my children had said. And I told him, I said, I can't leave. He says, hey, he says, we need you to take this job down here in Kalamazoo. I'm like, he's offering me a job, and I'm giving my notice. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. 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 And the guy, the guy, my, he, he's really a super good guy. And he's offered me treatment. He's offered me attorneys, everything to help me mm-hmm. put my family get back together. And I told him, I said, I cannot pull my children away from their family. I can't take them out of their church. Mm-hmm. I can't pull them away again. It's not fair to them. I said, I'll go back to Cincinnati and clean toilets if that's what it takes. But I got to be near my children. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I moved back to the Cincinnati area. And I, he got me my old job back, everything. Like I said, he was a great guy. So I get back into church. I'm going to church on a regular basis now. So now I'm starting to get my brain mm-hmm. back to where it's supposed to be. But there's this thing that's called an addiction. Right. And uh, it's a powerful thing. Yeah, everybody says, well, why can't he quit? All he's got to do is just stop doing it. You know, that's, it's, those are easy words said. Yes, they are. But there has to be a treatment. There's got to be something. You got to, you can't just unplug it. Mm-hmm. 
no matter how much we want to, we can't just unplug it. But I tried, and I tried. And I left Cincinnati, and I went to Dayton and took a job up there with the same company. And I kept trying to get this unplugged. And uh, it wasn't working. So I'm going to Mount Orb, back to church, seeing the same pastor. I tell him that I got an addiction problem. I start sharing my life with him, and I start laying my story out. He says, let's go pray. We need to pray. And we got down on our knees. And when I got up, I didn't need drugs or alcohol anymore. It was gone. It was gone. Yeah. Gone. Praise God. And uh That's yeah, yeah, it's, God delivered you in that moment. It was. And yeah. uh it, it was just it was amazing. Tell me a little bit about the story involved with your motorcycle accident. Well, as as life went on, number two and I, we separated. She couldn't leave that world behind. I get involved in uh, AA, so I'm back at my home church again. So we have this one-year read in the Bible, and it gets me connected to my Sunday school teacher, and uh, that's how you met. Yeah. That's how. Yeah. That's how we have Martha. So, you know, I through the off and on of my addiction. Even when I moved back, I had run my relationship with my children right. again because I couldn't kick it. Yeah. So, I I get this one year read, and we start reading the Bible every day, every day, every day, and. Uh, I've done this. Uh, we started it the year before we got married, and I never quit. And uh, I've become involved in the church, and uh, I'm that guy that's there every time the doors are open. I'm there every time they need help doing this. I'm the Sunday school superintendent. I'm life's good, right? I'm I'm that perfect example. Well, I ride motorcycle. And I really love motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my work, on, on my way to work. It's uh, I took a second shift job so I could attend church on Sunday morning. And I see a backup. I'm in a big hurry. And I whoop, whip off the road. I'm going to take the side streets. And down that road with some walnuts and some curbs, and my motorcycle ended up riding me. So that was the 30th of September in 2012. So I'm in the hospital. When the motorcycle landed on me, I didn't know it. It had crushed every bone in my upper torso. Uh, I ended up, I received a trigometry Mm -hmm. to open my airwaves while I was waiting to be lifted to the hospital. Mm -hmm. In the hospital, I spent, uh, what, Four, four weeks, six weeks unconscious, something like that. I was in a drug-induced coma. Now, everybody has different things that happen. And in my coma, mm-hmm. it was in and out. I don't know what my all my vitals and all that was. I, I wasn't there for that. But <laughs> <laughs> you weren't present. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't present. Yeah, But in that coma... 
I know for a fact, if I would have never got off the gurney, if I would have never walked out of that hospital, if I would have died there, I woke up in hell. And, you know, it's, it's like there's no white light experience for me. And I'm there, and I'm running, and I'm exhausted. And these demons are chasing me. They're just ripping me apart, and I'm regenerating, ripped apart. And, and it dawns on me that I'm running, I'm running, and I'm like, oh, I'm in hell. I know where I'm at. Then the next thing that flashed through my brain was, I missed it. Because, see, Jesus, they don't make mistakes. If I'm here, I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because of them. It was because of what I did. And I started screaming for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to know, you know, Jesus, take me out of here. That wasn't the question. The question was, what? What put me here? And he looked up and he says, take my hand. I took his hand. Mm -hmm. I seen all the faces of the people I never finished my men's list with. All the people I'd been rude, sarcastic, lied to, Mm -hmm. obnoxious, all those things, all those things that was in my life even though I may have looked like a good Christian over here, I was a sinner like none other. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to make it. But he told me when I held that hand, run. But run that race for me. And I don't know if that was the moment that I woke up and came conscious, but everything just came clear, clear as a bell yeah. to me. And I knew and I knew what I had to do. And the doctors and the nurses, they came in. I woke up, I'm tied to a bed. Mm-hmm. I, my, my arms are tied down. My chest is tied down. My legs, my ankles. I'm just tied to this bed. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what's going on? And everybody's like, well, what do you mean? You don't know? No, I don't know. No. Well, you've been just combative and ruthless, you know, just everywhere. And they had to tie you down for your safety. Okay, fine. Well, the, when the nurses came in, I kept asking them all these questions. The six weeks prior, I don't know mm-hmm. who I was or where I was, but they they seen me as that person, not as the person that woke up. Mm-hmm. The person that woke up, and I would start therapy in different aspects, and I would share Jesus with anybody in that hospital that would take a second to listen to me. Yeah. I had a new life. I had that new fire. Yeah. You you know, it's it's what is you're talking, you know, it's so there's no question that that he delivered you from the alcohol. And there's no question your life took a, a turn in the right direction. But there really is a difference between being religious and truly being born again, isn't yes. there? Yes, there is. You know, you can read your Bible, you can hold offices in the church, but boy, there's something different that happens when your life really is truly born from above. And that's what happened. You were a new creature in Christ when you left that hospital, weren't you? Yes, I was. Yeah. I was, oh, yeah. I was, uh... And it's never been the same. 
No, it's never <laughs> been the same. Uh, and that brings us to celebrate recovery. Yeah. Uh, when I left that hospital, I was so pumped for drugs. Uh, and they, they handed me this shopping cart list of prescriptions to go fill. I'm like, I, I can't do this. They don't have an end game. They say, take them till you don't need them no more. You can't give me the key to the medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. It don't work. And so Martha and I, we talked, and I tore the prescriptions up and threw them in the trash can. And she says, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. Said, we'll go to CVS and get some Tylenol, and we'll start there. So I had to go home and detox. Yeah. And Martha, she was just a great trooper. She'd been with me. Every day of that coma, she went back and forth from work to the hospital, work to the hospital. And when we went home, she she called. She had friends. She had house sitters come wait on me. But I got detoxed, and everywhere we went, we would see this sign, Celebrate Recovery. Yeah. And uh, her aunts, uh, we vis- visited with her aunt in Florida, and they had Celebrate Recovery at their church. So the more we got to learn about Celebrate Recovery, because I had had a lot of years of AA experience, mm-hmm. right? and the 12 steps of Celebrate Recovery is used, or 12 steps of Celebrate Recovery came from 12 steps of AA. So they mirror one another, but Rick Warren and Johnny Baker sat down and wrote to Celebrate Recovery. So there's a, there's a step and a biblical comparison to every step. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as we learned more about this, it was something that you know, we were really interested in. And we had a kit sitting on the shelf in our church. It had been there for six years. And the pastor said, yeah, we've just been waiting on somebody to open it up and Voila, we, we got the call. <laughs> if a person's going to do Celebrate Recovery, they'll feel that call Yes, because it's a Christ-centered recovery. Mm-hmm. And when you feel that call, it's done from the heart. And uh, it's just it's it's an amazing program. How many years have you been doing it now? I have, well, let's see, we start Celebrate Recovery, what year was it? Ten years. Ten years ago. Yep. Yeah. Ten years ago, you started. Yeah, hey, that's awesome. Well, Danny, it's it. We've kind of run out of time here, but it's man, it's been great to hear your story and to have you share. Thanks for being on. Oh, today's uh, episode. Yes. I appreciate it so very, very much. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad. It, I hope it helps somebody to get away Amen. from a, uh, an addiction. I do too. And friend, as I always say, Jesus Christ is truly the hope of the world. If you look to Him. He will help you find hope along the journey. God bless you and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to know more about hope along the journey, or if you would like to make a donation to show your support and appreciation for this ministry, then visit our website at hopealongthejourney.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for more hope along the journey.